Our Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are our Father. Thank you that you do not change. Thank you that you are with us. You are always with us in life and in death. And we pray this morning, as many of us may be worried and scared, we pray that your word that we've just heard would go deep into our hearts, that you would give us spiritual sight to see you, to see past the things of this earth only, and to see them in the light of your greatness and your grace. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a week. Um, The sermon that I was writing on Monday is quite different from the sermon that I was preparing by Friday, which was different again from the sermon that I was changing and adding to and taking bits away this morning. Not because the truths of God's word have changed, not because God has changed, but the public mood has changed, hasn't it? I don't know if you saw any of the uh, news articles yesterday of our own Sainsbury's Labrick Grove, uh, with the shelves stripped of pasta and toilet rolls and other such things. If you've got friends like mine, if you exist in the same sort of corner of the internet as I do, you too may well have been bombarded with articles this week such as, should Christians be anxious about the coronavirus? What the early church can teach us about the coronavirus Eight things the coronavirus can teach Christians. The FAQs of coronavirus explained by an infectious disease expert and pastor. Neighbor love in the era of COVID-19. Taking church online in a coronavirus age. Facing coronavirus in Christ love in a time of coronavirus. That obviously is just a few. Um, You may be reassured that I didn't read all of them. Um, I read some of them. And many of them were very helpful, and there is uh, one. There there are one or two that I'll be referring to uh, in this morning's sermon. So, what possible relevance can this very weird chapter that Tim just read have in the current environment, where most of us are probably more thinking about coronavirus? Probably this week and the last week spent more time reading about that than reading our Bibles. What relevance can a chapter like this? have for us. Well, as I say, God has not changed. God's word has not changed. And a number of the articles that I pointed, that that I referred to, there's one that uh, Steve received as well. Um, This was written by Andy Mason. Uh, He's down at St. John's Chelsea, uh, one of the churches in our little um, West London network. And he's written this thing, 14 truths to think on and apply to our lives in the face of the coronavirus. And there are printouts of this at the back on the right with the label 14 truths underneath it. If they run out, let us know, we can print some more. The first one, coronavirus does not mean that God has stopped being our father. And then for each of these 14 truths, he's got a number of Bible verses and he says, it's worth reading and meditating through these slowly, thinking on these truths. But what about this passage? Well, the story is fairly simple, and if you were here back on January the 19th, then uh, you may remember that you may have got a sense of deja vu, as Tim was reading. Abraham basically did exactly the same thing back in Genesis chapter 12 with Pharaoh, 
And here he is doing it again with a different king, Abimelech. So it's a fairly simple story. Abraham goes down to the Negev. Um, he sojourns in Gerar. And he decides, because he's afraid, to pass Sarah off as his sister. Abimelech, the local king, takes a shine to Sarah for whatever reason. And he thinks, well, she's just this guy's sister. She's fair game. And brings Sarah into his harem. God appears to Abimelech and says, you're a dead man. Which is quite scary, isn't it? You know, when God turns up and says, you're a dead man. I'm pretty sure I remember kids in primary school saying that to me several times. And here I stand before you alive today. But when God turns up and says that to you in a dream, well, in this land where Abraham thought there was no fear of God, well, Abimelech is rightly terrified. And God says to Abimelech, you're a dead man because you've taken a woman who is already married. And Abimelech says, give me a break, God. I didn't even know. And God says, you're right, you didn't know. And I kept you from touching her, from sleeping with her. But you need to get her back to her husband. And you need to ask that man, her husband, Abraham, to pray for you. Because he is a prophet. And if you don't, if he doesn't pray for you urgently, then you are in all kinds of trouble. So Abimelech goes and challenges Abraham, pretty upset, uh, I think rightly so. Um, Abimelech is more in the right than Abraham in this situation. What have you done to me? Why did you let me marry this woman and get into trouble with God? And then Abimelech gives Abram uh, a big gift, male and female servants and, and sheep and oxen. And Abraham prays for Abimelech and Abimelech is saved. Well, as I said, we had a very similar story back in Genesis chapter 12. And from Genesis chapter 12 until now, well, until next week, we're waiting for the birth of this promised son. And week after week after week after week, we've been waiting for the birth of this promised son. And we're almost there. And then this happens. And you think, God, what is the point of this? Like, it's basically the same story over again. Why do we have to wait for this? Well, there are a couple of things that I think we see in this passage. Um, they popped into my head in, a, uh, in an alliterative format. I'm not the biggest fan of alliteration, but I just couldn't resist this. So we get Abraham's miserable failure and Abraham's marvelous future. Well, firstly, Abraham's miserable failure. The last time I was preaching on Genesis chapter 12, and I began by saying, Abraham, what are you thinking? And this time, it's sort of, it's times two, isn't it? Abraham, what are you thinking? Again, do you not learn any of your lessons? And we see Abraham here, and I say again, what is the relevance of a passage like this on a week like this? Well, one thing that I think we see when things go wrong in Genesis, it's when they forget about God's power and God's promise. Abraham is afraid. This chapter says he goes down and he's afraid for his life. And so he forgets God's power and his promise in his fear. When we forget who God is, and when we forget what God is doing in history, that's when we panic, as we're seeing right now in the world, with many people panicking, and many of us being caught up in that panic. I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm going to come back to how serious it is. But panic is not the response of the Christian who knows God's power. 
coronavirus doesn't stop God being our Father. And the second of Andy's truths on there, our Father has not lost control of his world, but he is still in control of everything in our lives and in his world. That is still as true today as it was a month ago, as it was two months ago, as it was 4,000 years ago when Abraham was sojourning in Gerar. When we forget who God is and what he's doing, that's when we panic. And so Abraham, he doesn't think of Sarah. He doesn't think of Abimelech. He thinks only of himself. He panics and he puts Sarah under the bus again. One of the commentators puts it this way. On the brink of Isaac's birth story, here is the very promise put in jeopardy, traded away for personal safety. The mother of this promised child, who's due to be born really quite soon, Abram just sends her away, lets her go away into the harem, harem of another man. And uh, uh, Derek Kidner, he goes on, he says, if God's promise is ever to be fulfilled, it will owe very little to man. Morally, as well as physically, it will clearly have to be achieved by the grace of God. If God's promise is ever to be fulfilled, it will owe very little to us. Morally as well as physically, it will clearly have to be achieved by the grace of God. And that was true for Abraham, just as it has always been true. And it's the same in the church. What about the apostle Peter? Denying Jesus at the cross, and yet going on to be, to to fulfill Jesus' prophecy that he would be the rock on which Jesus' church would be built. What about today in the church? If God's purpose is ever to be fulfilled in this church, it will owe very little to us. It will owe very little to the leadership of this church. If God's promise is ever to be fulfilled in this church, well, morally as well as physically, it will clearly have to be achieved by the grace of God. It will come as no surprise to you that your leaders in this church are sinful and weak and frail and inadequate. And as we look around at the church more broadly, so many stories of church leaders in serious moral failure, great immorality causing them to be pushed, taken outrightly, removed from their ministries. Now, if any of us in this church ever fall into such serious moral failure, we too should be removed from our positions. But even now, as many of you know, many of our faults and failings, and there'll be many other faults and failings we have that you don't know, if God's purpose is ever to be fulfilled in this church, in his church more broadly, it will be God's work and not ours. It will be down to him and not down to us. But also in our own lives, the lives of each and every one of you here, we sit here week by week and we say the confession because we know that we're not perfect. We know that we need to repent of our sins daily and believe in God for his grace daily. If God's purpose is ever to be fulfilled in our lives, each and every one of us, day by day, week by week, it will only be done by God's power and not by ours. And so I think there is great reassurance in this story here. Abraham, the man of faith, described as God's friend, this, this man through whom the promise is fulfilled, 
and yet we see him fail. Again, in a very similar way to how he's failed before. I imagine for many of us, there's a particular thing that you struggle with. And perhaps for a while, you attain a measure of victory over that sin, over that failing in your life. And weeks go by, and perhaps months go by, and maybe even years go by, and you think, I've achieved victory. I've overcome this sin. And then it takes you down again. And you think, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to be able to live this Christian life. And we're right. We, in our own strength, are never going to be able to achieve victory. If God's promises to be fulfilled in his church, in our lives, it will be down to him and not down to us. We see it in Abraham's life and we see it in ours as well. Abraham's miserable failure, but God's great grace. But then secondly, Abraham's marvelous future. Abraham's miserable failure and then Abraham's marvelous future. More than anything, this story is a reminder to align ourselves side with the one whom God has chosen to bless. Be on the side of the one who God has chosen to bless. Abimelech aligns himself at the end of this story with Abraham and is blessed. And we ought to align ourselves with the ultimate blessed one, the ultimate promised one, the Lord Jesus Do you remember right back in Genesis 12, if you've got your own Bibles um, or or, or you're looking it up on your phone, or just trust me and I'll read it to you. Right back in Genesis 12, um, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, God says to Abraham, Abraham, the fate of other people is going to depend on how they react to you, Abraham. If they honor you, I, God, will honor them. If they dishonor you, Abraham, I will curse you. So God makes promises to Abraham, unconditional promises. They will come true. Nothing can stop those promises that God makes to Abraham. But other people are going to be affected by how they respond to Abraham. And if we look back through our series, look back through Genesis 12 to 20, we see a number of cases where this happens already. So firstly, think of Ishmael. Ishmael, the son who Abraham has by a surrogate in and of itself, a slightly sordid story. Um, look, look back in our, uh, in, in our series for that on the website. God is kind to Ishmael. He blesses Ishmael. He promises him many descendants. Well, why? Well, we're told because Abraham prayed for him. This is chapter 17. God says to Abraham, As for Ishmael, I have heard your prayer, Abraham, and so I have blessed him. Ishmael's blessing in some way is tied in to Abraham. Last week, we were looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, another difficult story, and how God spares Lot. And if you were here last week, or you know that passage, well, the way that Lot behaves, you think, why would God save Lot? You know, and and his story through Genesis is not a particularly good one either. Well, it turns out it's because Abraham had prayed for him. 
God heard Abraham's prayer and he spared Lot. Chapter 19, verse 29. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham's prayer and sent Lot out. So Lot's blessing seems to be because Abraham prayed. Ishmael's blessing seems to be because Abraham prayed. And we can see clearly the same is true of Abimelech. He's a dead man because of taking Abraham's wife. But in the end, he's blessed because Abraham prays. Why that extra stage here? Why extend this story? God could have just said, I'll spare you if you give Abraham's wife back. We'll forget about it. Just walk away. You know, all good. But instead, God says, you must ask Abraham to pray for you. Then I will spare you. Return the man's wife because he is a prophet so that he can pray for you and you shall live. God makes Abimelech's blessing contingent, dependent on Abraham's prayer. And Abraham prays and God heals Abimelech. Chapter 20, looking at it again, isn't so much Abraham's story as it is the Abimelech story. He's a dead man, and then he's a saved man. He's got no children, and then he's got children. And the difference is Abraham's prayer. This is the purpose of the Abimelech story, to remind us that not only is God going to bless Abraham with a child, through whom all of his promises will be fulfilled, but to remind us that for everyone else, for each and every one of us here, for each and every one in our families, in our community, in our nation, in our world, we stand or fall by our connection with the one that God has promised. We see it with Abraham, we see it with Moses. Stand with Moses and you are blessed. Stand against Moses, you'll be in trouble. We go on through the story, stand with Joshua and the people, you will be blessed. Stand against Joshua and the people and you will be trouble. And it goes on. And we see again and again through the Old Testament those who align themselves with God's people and who are blessed. Rahab, for example, prime example. Esther. Not Esther. The other one. Ruth. Ruth. Rahab, Ruth, the arse. We too will stand or fall depending on whether we align ourselves with the one God has promised, Jesus. Because now, if we trust in Jesus, we too can call Abraham father. This is Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Galatians chapter 4. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And so, while we wait now, Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of his son, and we had to wait another few thousand years before the birth of the Lord Jesus, and now we wait in the gap, in the meantime, for the Lord Jesus to return and bring us the blessed world that God promised to Abraham. The promise to Abraham wasn't just for a son, it was for a remade world, a world with no mourning or crying or pain or tears or death. No disease, no struggle, no suffering. And that world will come, but we wait for it. And while we wait in the gap, 
we need to align ourselves, we need to side with, we need to throw in our lot with Jesus, the promised one. Many of us will have done that. So what difference does that make this week? What difference does does it make as we go out and we're bombarded again with headlines as we wisely, rightly take the sensible precautions for our own sake and out of love for others? What difference does it make? Well, one of the articles I say I read this week was Spurgeon on the cholera outbreak in his day when many, many people died. This is Spurgeon. He writes in the year 18... So Charles Spurgeon, a preacher... Um, in London about 300 years ago. He says here in the year 1854, so about 150 years ago. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera, and my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day, I was called to visit the grave. On one occasion, I went home and was soon called away again, that time to see a young woman. She also was in the last extremity, but it was a fair, fair sight. She was singing, though she knew she was dying, and talking to those round about her, telling her brothers and sisters to follow her to heaven, bidding goodbye to her father, and all the while smiling as if it had been her marriage day. She was happy and blessed. If we are in Christ, if we have sided with Christ, we are safe, we are secure, whatever the coronavirus situation. There is likely a lot, of, a lot of unpleasantness ahead for us. Many of us, some of us, will be likely to be grieving in the coming weeks and months. There will be tears. Our congregation, with many who are, who are older, is unlikely to be unscathed. It is not irrational to be afraid. It is not foolish to be cautious. But under that fear, beyond that fear, we have a greater hope. God is still our Father. He still holds our lives in his hands. If we are in Christ, we are safe, we are secure, and we have something even better ahead. A world of no pain, no suffering, and no death. Let's look to love one another well in this time, and let's look to the Lord Jesus 
in this time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the great, great hope you have given us in the Lord Jesus. Not a vain hope, not a, a hope against the evidence, but a hope based on the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands with you in heaven now, our rock and our redeemer. May we know that we are safe in him. And may we take that message to others. In love, may we share not only our time and our resources, but also this message, this message of hope and of salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.